Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm with Brother Meyer. The powerful presence of the Lord in the house this morning. I'd invite all of you up here to stand with me if I could. It's powerful. Brother Meyer, I want to thank you for the message that you delivered this morning, not feeling well. Powerful, powerful, wonderful teaching this morning. Brother Meyer spoke to us today about Nicodemus. I'm sorry, it was Nicodelius. No, no, it was Cornelius, and it was an excellent word. If you weren't here this morning to hear that, I highly recommend that you check into the podcast on that. Excellent word for the day led into this worship service and is now going to carry into the word that God has given me this morning. And I'm so thankful for that. As always, he puts us together as partners and brothers in the Lord. And I'm so very thankful for that. I'm just going to have you turn to one scripture this morning, the book of Romans chapter 8. You know when God sometimes will put a heavy spirit upon you, if if you have felt that spirit, if you've ever felt a, a heaviness on you, You know that it's not extremely pleasant, but at the same time, there's something peaceful about it. There's something that's that's reassuring, that God is doing something in your life. God is speaking to you. God God is directing you in some way. And so this morning, I I feel a bit of a heaviness. I feel the weight of this message that God's given me, but I believe it's important. I believe it ties to what my brother spoke this morning. And... uh, And I want to share a very important question or concept with you this morning, and that is what it means to be ready. What does it mean to be ready? We talk about being ready. We live a life. We come to church on Sunday. We read our word. We pray all for the purpose of readiness. Other than that, what would we be doing it for but wasting our time? We're serving God and we're helping others to be ready as well. But what does it mean to be ready? Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says this. I'm going to start off in kind of an odd place, but if you understand why, you'll see in the further scriptures what Paul was, was preaching to the Romans ties directly into this scripture that we all know so very well. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You can be seated this morning. What Paul is basically telling us is that we are not subject to the condemnation of the enemy over our own failures. Just because you became a Christian, just because you're saved, just because you come to church every week, doesn't mean that you're not going to fail. It doesn't mean that you're not still operating in the flesh. You've heard me preach many times. We, we fight a war back and forth every single day. The spirit and the flesh are constantly tugging at one another one way or the other. We are not subject, however, to the condemnation of the enemy that he puts on us for those failures. You must understand that if we do not walk after the flesh, but we walk after the spirit, there is no condemnation for you. And therefore, we are also not condemned to the fate that the world has that surrounds us. We are not condemned to their fate. We must understand that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming soon, folks. 
We don't talk about it a lot. We do, it's not a primary subject matter, and not because we leave it out or because we don't want to, but because God calls Brother Meyer and Brother Kylie and Brother Michael and Brother Steve and myself to certain direction, and, and there's just certain needs of the church body, and there's those things that we address that are day-to-day. Every church body is completely different. Every temperature that you could take from every church in the area, every church in the country has a different temperature to it, has a different need, it has a different set of concerns, but every single one of them in unity has this particular need, and that is the need to be ready. The need to understand what the word says about the process, about the purpose, what it means to be ready. We've got to be ready because Jesus Christ is coming again. The Bible says that it's our job, Brother Meyer, that we have to bring to remembrance for the people these words. It's our job to do that. And so from time to time, we've got to refresh that soil. We've got to talk to one another again about what this is all about, why we're here, why we come to church, what it is that means to be ready, what is happening, what's it going to look like when God's about to come. We've got to be prepared. And so today, I want to take you just a little bit further into that topic. We cannot fail to be patient. We cannot be weary in well-doing. We must hold to this truth and live, as, it, as, as Paul said in verse 1, as the Spirit leads. I ask you today, are your affairs in order? Are your priorities set? Because it's very easy as we go about this daily life, fighting that flesh battle and that spirit battle every single day. We've all got a job to get up and go to or a school to get up and go to or maybe we're taking care of the home or the children. Every day we get involved in our operation. We get into our busy time. We begin to just operate. Yeah, we're walking in the spirit. We have our prayer time and we're doing the functions and we're making our phone calls and we're witnessing to our friends and we get into this busy time. But do we really understand the weight? Do we really understand the weight of what it is that we're we're preparing for? Because I believe the more that we understand the weight of what it really is that we're doing to prepare, the more serious we'll be and the more people that would be on board. You see, it's just a natural thing. It's a natural thing in the church body. Some, some, of, the, some of the members of the body are at the extreme. Some of them are fingertips and toe tips. Not everybody is as close to the heart of Jesus as Jesus would like. You understand what I'm saying is that we're all part of the body and we can be functioning and doing all the things that the body needs to be doing, but we can be just a little too far away from the heart of Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to you today that when we talk about getting ready, it's about how can we draw closer to that heart? Look what Paul goes on to say. We move further down in the book of Romans in verse 14. He says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He reaffirms that being led by the spirit aspect. I don't want condemnation for the mistakes that I make. I don't want to be distracted with that. I'm going to make my mistakes, but I I know God and I know the process and I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to live a life of daily repentance, honoring him, spending time with him, putting him at the center of what I do. I know all that stuff. So I don't want to be messed around with that condemnation that the devil wants to try to put on me because I try to do everything I can to be led by the spirit. But Paul didn't say as many as go to church these are the sons of God. As many as read the Bibles or as many as are patriotic Americans or as many take communion, he said it's about the spirit active within us. Jesus said, except you become as little children. Sometimes I think we get a little too smart for our britches. 
little too sharp, a little too certain, a little too confirmed. I sometimes chuckle when I hear people say, I'm saved, as though it's a past tense event. We're in the process. We're doing the things that we need to be doing. But you'll never catch me using the ED at the end of that word because it's going to keep me humble to remind myself what it means to be ready. He goes on to say in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. See, he's our dad. He's our daddy. And we don't need that fear. We don't need to be condemned. We don't need to be fussing and fooling with anything else except putting him at the very center. He goes on to say in verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. As Jesus said, except you become as little children, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. In other words, don't be so smart. Don't be so set. Don't be so sophisticated. Don't be so set in your ways. Don't be so sure. It's okay to be confident. It's okay to believe in God. It's okay to have that strong faith. Don't get me wrong. But think about how a little child would prepare for that, how a little child would behave in that. Open eyes, innocent, receiving everything dad says. You know, when you're growing up in your household and and mom and dad are there and dad's teaching you things and mom's teaching you things, no child takes, well, dad, let me check the encyclopedia on that. Sorry, millennials. Dad, let me Google that. As your parents are teaching you and they're building you values and they're, and they're, they're teaching you lessons and sometimes there's punishment in that and there's, and, and there's stories. Anybody have a dad that told stories? A stepdad that told stories. And, 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 and they're building that in you and a child receives that and receives it and receives it in faith and, and just understanding. There's no question, this is mom and dad. That's their role. They're not going to tell me something wrong or lead me the other way or, or put me in the wrong direction. And so when Jesus said, except that we become as little children, he said, I want, that's what I want you to do. I want you to just receive it. I'm teaching you. I'm giving you. I'm feeding you. I'm telling you what it is and what you need to be ready. Verse 17 says, and if, the chi- if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That's the promise. If we suffer with him, if we're patient, if we're not weary in well-doing, heaven awaits us. That's what we're preparing for. That's what all of this is about, is one simple goal. To save ourselves and as many people as we can possibly get a hold of and share this word with. In verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So we're, we're told that we have to suffer with them. And, and that suffer isn't the same suffer like suffer the little children. In other words, let people do that. Suffer is pain. That suffer is deal with the challenges and what it is to live as a Christian, the pains of life and, and all the things that are going to come along with it. And I'm going to get into that in just a second. But if notice what he says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. There's nothing, folks. There's nothing that you can deal with in this life. If you put God at the center of everything you're doing and, and, and just just pull 
yourself away from the things that are currently in the center and let him be in the center. There's going to be some suffering in that. It's not going to be as fun. It's not going to be as enjoyable in terms of that thing that you let go. But when you put God at the center and you realize the joy unspeakable, you realize what really comes along with that process. All of that stuff becomes secondary. It becomes tertiary. It's not important anymore because that suffering can't ever come close to comparing with what's waiting for us. Bring it to your remembrance. Remember it daily. Whatever I'm going through right now, whatever I'm challenged with right now, whatever this life brings me, whatever offense I may have taken, whatever thing that, that hurts and beats us down, it doesn't compare to the heaven that awaits us. Why is it so hard? You know, we're surrounded by media and Hollywood and stories, and for years and years and years, they've made everything to be a fantasy, everything to be, uh, you know, and I'm talking about books and comic books and, and, and stories and television programs and media and radio and YouTubes and, and, and Hollywood movies and all that stuff just brings everything to a wonderful end. It comes to a chapter, it comes to, everybody walks off into the sunset. Why, is that why it's so hard? Is it so ingrained in us in this nation because we're such a media-oriented country, because we're such a fantasy story-oriented country? We're so entertainment oriented that everything has to come into some sort of a special little sunset ending as we walk away. Is that why it's so hard for us to really talk in terms of of heaven and that final goal? Is that why it's so hard to keep that in remembrance? I wonder. I wonder if it's just this culture that surrounds us that's made it so incredibly difficult to remember that that's what we're doing this for. I said something recently to a person I'm witnessing to about going to heaven, and they chuckled. They laughed. It was a funny concept to them. Oh, you're talking about going to heaven and all those, all those great Bible stories, and isn't that sweet and wonderful? I said, well, don't you believe in heaven? Don't you believe that there's a place that God has for us? No, well, I don't know. That just sounds like fantasy land to me. And it's pervasive. I told you a few weeks ago about the quote from Aaron Rodgers talked about a God that would send all of his creation to a fiery hell, has no concept of what the word says, that I would come that not one would be lost. I've come to set free the captive. Nothing that we'll endure through this life process compared to what's waiting for us. Look at the strength and the determination that King David expresses. If you go to Psalm 62, Psalm chapter 62, starting at verse 5, this is David, uh, one of his psalms. And he expresses this, this principle so eloquently. It's, it's poetry. It's beautiful. Psalm 62 and 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my death defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah means stop and think about it. He just basically says there's there's nothing else in the way. There's no other motives. There's no other centers to my universe. There's no other things that I'm motivated by. My soul waits only on God. In other words, patience, patience, patience. We've got to remain patient. We can't slip, we can't get bored, we can't slow down, and we can't drift. 
But if many of you that have been around here for a long time, long enough, many years in the church, you know that God's been coming just about every year, right? We weary of it. We get tired of that concept. Oh, I, I remember Richard Hurd. You guys remember Richard Hurd? He told us maybe five years. That was 1984, 85. Five years. I can't see God's going to last longer than that. He was like, Al Gore, you know, another 10 years and that's it. And we're all done. We heard it all these years. God's coming back. God's coming back. God's coming back, but then we go another year, and we go another year, and we see a new president, and we see, we see new things happen in our, in our world, and we see a 9-11, and we see tragedies, and we, we, we go another year, and we go another year, and so just in our flesh and in our weariness, we, we just lose sight of this. We lose sight of this key concept. We lose sight of what it really means to do what we're doing, and we get operating into this mode, and we just sort of get into the cycle, and we do what we're supposed to do, and we get on the wheel. And we get impatient. And so when we get impatient, we start to wander and things can kind of start to distract us. And I'm talking if anything from just simply just getting a little tired and leaving your prayer life aside to the people who actually get up and walk out of here and go back to sin. One extreme to the other. Why? Because it's just not happening. And in our flesh, we become weary and well-doing and we get impatient. When impatience rules the day, compromise is inevitable. When we compromise this principle, we can easily fall back on, on, on the stuff that life has to offer us that distracts us and comforts us. It's easy to say, well, I go to church and I pray and I, and I do some good things and I give to charity. You see it all the time out in the world. You see that constantly. People that are, are putting on their fig leaf righteousness because they give a lot to their church and they show up on Sunday and they rah, 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 and they go home. And, and the pastors of those churches are saying, yep, that's okay, you're good. Everything's all right. Or they're pumping prosperity doctrine at you and saying, well, this is all about money. It's all about money. You're going to get more money. If you serve God and you put money in the coffers, you'll get more money from God. Money's going to be great and you're going to have all the money that you want. And isn't that wonderful? Folks, it's not about money. It's not about the comforts that keep us busy. It's not about staying busy in this. It's about being led by the Spirit. It's being led by the Spirit that's going to ignite a revival in this church. And I don't mean just this church, I mean the United Pentecostal Church and apostolic churches all over the country and other churches besides that. It's being led by the Spirit is what's going to finally ignite this thing. So that we come into a service and God's Spirit is moving like it is this morning and people are going to be just on top of it and we're going to see healings happening again. We're going to see people filled with the Holy Ghost just walking up to this thing. Brother, Brother Meyer this morning talking about Cornelius, talking about Peter coming into preaching in Cornelius' house. Peter, Peter just basically started telling the story, he started giving the testimony. You can, it's about verse 11 or so. And when he did that, he was just speaking. And while he was speaking, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost just fell on those people. I want a time in the church. I want to bring a church to a place right now where just one person up here, one lady, one man, one pastor, one minister steps up and we're just ministering the word and the Holy Ghost begins to fall and people recognize that power again in Jesus' name. That's the apostolic faith that I belong to. That's the apostolic core of what's in this word today, being led by the Spirit. I want to direct you to a warning that God gave the prophet Isaiah in chapter 31. Isaiah 31 and 1 says this. It says, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. 
Now, folks, you know enough to know, and if you're new in the house, Egypt in the Bible represents sin. It's everything just completely contrary to God. It is the core of what we know about sin. It was the thing that kept the flesh of Israel captive. It is the thing that has always constantly represented everything evil. It's idolatry, it's false gods, it's power, it's worldly power, it's wealth. It's everything that God represents in the Bible for sin. You cannot go down to Egypt. What it's saying is, is don't rely on the things of this world. Don't stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they're strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither they seek the Lord. When we get distracted, when we get weary, when we get tired of this message, yeah, God's coming somewhere down the road, but you know what? I got some things I want to do. I want to have some fun. No, I don't want to show up at those prayer meetings. No, I don't want to come here, Brother Rob, this morning at 9 o'clock because I'd rather come at 10. I'm not sorry for saying that, folks. I'm just telling you, you missed powerful word this morning. It's no more time to fool around. We can't be asleep. There's no more time to say, yes, yeah, somewhere down the road, God's coming. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is coming, and we got to get serious about it, and we got to get serious right quick. I told you this message was heavy on this morning, but I, I just... I'm going, to do, I'm going to go as God has given me to go. I have to share this with you. We've got to start to be ready, folks. There isn't some sort of a messenger that's going to come in and say, hey, buddy, just so you know, about six months from now, God's coming back. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. We just don't know. It could be another 30 years. It could be 60 years. So what? We've got work to do. There's literally millions upon millions of people that need this word, that need to be led by the Spirit, that need to be brought to God. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it but the one that God has given the most amazing gift to already? His people. His people that he's filled with his spirit. His people that he's blessed beyond measure and compare. How many in this room couldn't stand up and say, man, God's done more for me than I was ever worthy of? Going on to verse 32, yet also, yet he also is wise and will bring evil. This is, he's talking about God now. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. In other words, if you put your trust in the evil, if you go back to Egypt, watch out because God's got his plan for them. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. And out of his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall and he that is helpen shall fall down and they shall fail together. Folks, if you're relying on this world, if you're relying on the things of this world, if your job, your money, if some direction that you've got, something that you're involved in is more important to you to, than God, than you and the person that you're holding hands with, the help that you're getting, the ones that are helping one another, they're going to fall. They're going to fall. It's not about that stuff. If you just be led by the Spirit. See, God wants to give you all the desires of your heart. He wants to give you everything that you're chasing after. He just wants you to chase after him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all that stuff will be added. I'm telling you what it means to be ready. Verse four goes on to say, for thus hath the Lord spoken unto me like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey. When a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. See, that's his promise to us. 
Look what, he, look what Egypt is offering us right now anyway. Take a look at what we're seeing out there. Political unrest. Vast immorality. Violence. Pestilence. Now we got something called coronavirus. I know Brother, Brother Courtney's been doing a little research on that. And it's unbelievable what they're, what they're printing on this stuff and what's happening. The flu virus this year has killed more children in the United States than any time since, since the, uh, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic, I believe. We've got four or five different versions of flu pestilences going on around the world. There are earthquakes happening across the, United, across, excuse me, across the world right now at a vaster, greater rate since 2010 than any other time in world history. What more do you need to know, folks? What more sign do you want? They're already manufacturing the chips that they're going to put into people's hands and foreheads so they can operate under, under the financial system. Hello? I don't, I'm not here to be scary. I'm not here to scare people. I'm not here to, 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 I don't believe in fright politics to get people into church, by the way. I'm never going to do some program. We're not going to go out there and scare people into church. You know why? Because that lasts for about 15 seconds. This world is already surrounded by enough horror. It doesn't do anything to people for very long. It's a short-lived deal. I'm never going to be about scare politics to try to get people into church. Remember 9-11, those of you that were here? After 9-11... The following day, we had services in here. We had people come. This church was packed to the gills. There were people standing around the backs, praying, worshiping God. Why? Because our country just became under attack. Something happened that they'd never seen before. Frightened them. Brother Kylie, how many of those folks were in church the following Sunday? 10%? 5%? Maybe three people? Beyond our normal? It's not a scare tactic, folks, but we need to know what it means to be ready and why. In Luke 21, we've got an illustration that Jesus ministered to the, to the disciples. He gives them a vision of what's to come. And they're talking about the temple, and, <clears throat> and he's spoken before of tearing down the temple. Now, the temple, is, at this time, the temple is a magnificent, magnificent building, 500 yards long, 400 yards wide. It's coated in stone plates, and some of the stones aren't. Uh, that aren't covered, in, excuse me, in, in, in gold plates, and some of the stones that aren't covered in gold plates are pure marble, so much so that from a distance it looked like to some people traveling that it was, there was snow on the Temple Mount. It, it was a massive, beautiful building. It took uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 years, I believe, for final completion on that last temple. It was a massive building, and Jesus was ministering and talking to people about tearing down the temple in three days. He talks in, in, in Luke chapter 21 about no stone being uh, left standing. He says in verse 6, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. You see, that's an allusion to the destruction that's to come. There's not going to be one person that's not going to bow, that's not going to fall. There's not going to be one building remaining. There's not going to be one stone that's not thrown down, thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when, these thing, when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. It's not going to be that blatant in, in many cases, by the way. There are a couple of characters out there running around saying that they're Jesus Christ. There's a guy, you can Google this, there's a character out there who calls himself the Maitreya. 
the Maitreya and he has thousands of people following him. And he's, he's giving out these prophecies and he's telling all these stories and he's leading people astray. But this isn't going to be always that blatant. People aren't going to show up and literally say, hey, by the way, I'm Jesus Christ. You need to come and follow me. Some of it's going to be doctrines and messages and ministers and pastors and these characters on TV. Do you think Jesus maybe was giving an illusion, an illusion to what we see in mass media, preacher TV? I wonder. Verse 9 says, But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. Well, Brother Cordell, that's been going on for years. Now look at the levels. Look at the levels, the number of plagues and the number of pestilences. I'm not a prophet here, by the way. I'm just, I'm just observing just like the rest of you. But when I see scientific data coming out that's saying since 20, 2010, earthquakes, when it says divers places, it means places that earthquakes don't typically happen. And I see from 2010 moving forward an unbelievable skyrocketing of the number of earthquakes that are happening around the world on a routine basis. That says something to me. When I look at five, six different, there's H1N1, D1, CD, CD19, H1B1, all these avian flu, swine flu, coronavirus, and all these things that are traveling around the world. Do you know that, that there's, a, there's satellite technology right now that they're using that's, that's passing over China? And they're seeing giant red thermal areas in the China mainland. Okay, now this stuff is coming up off of the earth and these satellites have the ability to detect the materials that are coming off of that, that smoke and cinder. You know what it's detecting? Human DNA. They're burning people in mass quantities in China because they're dying of these pestilences. And our satellite technology can tell that that's what's in there. I'm not a prophet, folks, but I'm just saying. They're signs. Jesus promised signs. In verse 12, he goes to say, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into the prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. It's happening all over the world. They're executing Christians in Nigeria and, and uh, Somalia. They're taking their heads off. They're executing them by fire and hanging, shooting. How soon before this becomes the United States? How soon? before I'm endangering my life by standing here and doing what I'm doing right now. I'm fully aware that that is a possibility, scripturally speaking. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Now listen to what he says in verse 14. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before you shall answer. Just decide you're going to be in faith. When these things are happening, that testimony opportunity is going to be there for you. Just settle it and understand that he's going to give you the mouth. It says in verse 15, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. Folks, you've got to remember you're going to have power. We can't be victimized by this. We can't hide away from it. If the, one of the reasons we're distracting ourselves with things of the world is because we're afraid of this stuff to come, I'm telling you, he's going to give you power. If you're led by the Spirit, you're going to reach people that would never listen to you before. 
Opportunities are going to come and present themselves. Hey, it looks like you're a person that goes to church all the time. Please tell me what that's all about. I don't understand why you're so into your church. Can you tell me and help me understand? When I grew up, I was like this, but I just don't understand that. I've got my, I told you last week uh, here on Wednesday night, I told you my son, Sam, he comes every couple of weeks and, and, and he's witnessing to his roommate right now. He's not here very often, but he's a good boy, and he's, and he's trying to help. And this, this guy's hungry and approaches him and says, Sam, I don't, I don't understand this thing with your church. Tell me, I was Lutheran. What's the difference between what you do and what they do? And Sam just shared with him what we do. It doesn't matter what the other, uh, the other thing does. We don't know that. What we do is we follow the word of God. And Sam is witnessing to him and trying to get him to come. And then a the guy says, well, tell me how to pray. And, and, and so he, and he's question, question, question. And he's going to come. He's going to come. I know it. But Sam comes to me and says, Dad, I, I, I can't believe this. He said, all of a sudden, before, he didn't care anything about church. But all of a sudden, now he's really worried about it. He wants to know how to pray. And, he's, and he, he knows that God is blessing him in his life. And he feels guilty because he's not doing anything to serve God. That's extraordinary. This guy's like 23 years old. What would drive a 23-year-old kid who's got money and a job and a good place to live and good buddies? What would drive him to be so concerned and so desirous to know and understand the Lord? Perhaps it's the times. Perhaps it's what they're seeing around them, what they're observing that's happening in this world. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Well, that's a promise. If you paid any attention to our election cycle right now and you've listened to any some of the words that some of these characters are talking about, you'll know that it's already in the ether, it's already in the process. There are organizations coming up ready against to begin persecuting Christians. We have candidates for the presidency of the United States talking about what they want to do to suppress the Christian movement. Now, they don't say it that way. You just have to listen just a little bit further. But can you imagine? A candidate for the presidency of the United States of America is looking for ways to hinder the process of the Christian movement. Hello? Is that waking anybody up? Listen, folks, I'm not going to get political on you this morning, and I'm not going to talk Republican or Democrat, but I'm going to say this. We elect a communist to the presidency of the United States of America. You better be prepared for how to be ready, because that's going to bring some bad stuff to this nation. There's a party in this, in, in this country that is getting ready to nominate a communist for the presidency of the United States of America. Hello? But verse 18 says, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. And then verse 21, excuse me, verse 19, a verse we know all so well, in your patience possess ye your souls. Jump down to verse 25 with me, and this is really where Jesus gives them the payoff statement in my view. And you can go back and read 19 through, or excuse me, 20 through 24, but verse 25, it says this, and there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. By the way, guess what one of the number one causes of death in the United States of America is right now? Heart failure among men. 
And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for redemption draweth nigh. It's close. It's close. It has to be close. It has to be close. What does close mean, Brother Cordell? I want to take some more time to relax. Nope, I'm telling you, it's close. And if my version of close is 30 more years, then so be it. But you need to be ready today because you could walk out of this building tomorrow, get into your car and drive out to I-94 and be crushed by a semi hijacking across the road. You are not promised tomorrow. As far as all of us are concerned in this room, Jesus Christ is coming tomorrow morning. You know why? Because between now and then, we have no promise. We've got no promise if we're going to live or not. We've got to live like he's coming in a minute and plan like it's 30 more years out the road. But we've got to live and be ready. This is what it is to be ready. To be ready and led by the Spirit because he could come in a minute. Before I finish this message, the trumpet could sound. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians Folks, there's so much that you can study. There's so much that you can be aware of in this area. There's so much you can remind yourself on a constant basis throughout the word of God. Paul's given us excellent, excellent word in this. Beyond what Jesus promised throughout the gospels, uh, Matthew chapter 24 is a similar account to Luke 21. Go back and read it. There's even more detail in there. If I had the time, I'd share it with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, go all the way down to verse 51. This is Paul writing to the church at at Corinth. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. That word sleep there means dead, be, to be dead. We're not all going to be dead. Some of us are going to be living when this is going on. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, for we shall be changed. This is what we call the rapture, the rapture of the church. Well, Brother Cordell, the word rapture is not in the Bible, you know. Fine, that's okay. You call it what you want to call it. But that's what we know it as. For this corruptible must be put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We've got to get rid of this flesh. That spirit that's living inside us, the one that's going to lead us through this process, the spirit that we're allowing to lead us through life, it's going to transform this mortal body. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And the beauty of that is that we are no longer under that law. We're under grace. We're under something greater than the law. And therefore, we are not contained or constrained or held to the law of the flesh. Our bodies will transform. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 58 now. This is awesome. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul went on to write to the Thessalonians in, verse, excuse me, in chapters 4 and 5. I'm going to read you 4 and 16. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18 says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. I'm comforting you with these words. I'm bringing to remembrance to you these words. And I'm encouraging you. Know what it is to be ready. 
See, because here's the deal. Once that trumpet sounds, once that twinkling of an eye, and somebody once quantified that. Anybody, anybody remember what they, what, they, what they quantified, the twinkling of an eye in time? Tenth of a second, a thousandth, I, I don't remember what it was. But I can tell you this much, it wasn't a whole second. And it wasn't enough for you to run over to church, open up the doors, get down here to the altar, get down on your knees and say, God, please forgive me for the thing I did. I know the trap is about to happen right now. And out of way you go. It's not going to happen. That trump is going to sound in a twinkling, in a moment of an eye. Flash, gone. We meet him in the air. That's it. No do-overs. No new opportunities. No chance to run over to the church. Can't call Brother Kylie. Brother Kylie, the Lord's about to come tell me what to do. Go over to chapter 5 and start at verse 2 of Thessalonians. It says this. It's a little more ominous. A little more scary. One of my first services at a, at a service at Abundant Life Church at Oakwood was when Brother and Sister Kylie put on the Thief in the Night series. Remember the Thief in the Night series? Pork chop sideburns, bell-bottom pants. I wish they'd all been ready. Remember that? That was one of my first services there. First Thessalonians 5 and 2 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And finally, verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. There's enough signs. There's enough things happening. There's enough messages. There's enough church services, enough revivals. that We know. We know what we need to do. Did you notice that in that message, there were several directives in there? Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. Be patient. Be steadfast, unmovable. Comfort one another with these words. Don't fall asleep. Watch and be sober. The instruction is there, folks. The direction for how to be ready is there. We just have to realize every day to be consciously aware, every waking moment, Don't slide. Don't sleep. Don't let up. Oh, God's never coming back. I've been hearing that since I was a kid. I've been in the church 37 years. 1982, I came into the church. I've heard it since 1982. It's just getting weary. It's getting getting kind of hard. It's getting old. We've got to be careful. Stand with me this morning. Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 11, says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Those books are the 66 books of the Holy Bible. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Why the books? Because... That holy Bible in your hands are the directions. Basic instruction before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. 
They are the direction. They are the will and testament of Jesus Christ and the way that we should live, and that's why we're judged out of them. And it says that the things which were written in the books according to their works, Titus 3 calls those works the works of righteousness. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell were delivered up the the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, this moment isn't a trial. It's, it's not a, it, there's no witnesses. There's no arguing your case. There's no decision to be made. The decision is already made. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 23, many will be told, depart from me, you that work with iniquity. I never knew you. They're going to plead to him. But didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful, great works in your name? They're going to plead. They're going to beg. They're going to say, well, can I get a do-over? And and they'll be on their knees. I trust you. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they'll stand there and they'll beg him. But the good news is that we don't stand at that white throne judgment. Those of us that are filled with the Spirit and led by His Spirit. No, no, no. The Word says that we'll be before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done whether good or bad. The people who've lived righteously and have that 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians experience are raptured out of here, bypassing the white throne judgment. Maybe we won't have to see people that we knew, people that we encountered in our lives. Maybe we won't have to see relatives standing in that line, facing that white throne, begging, Begging for an overdue, redo, for a do-over. Begging for a new opportunity. Maybe we won't have to see that. God help us if we do. I've got a short video that I want to play for you. I played it on Wednesday night. For those of you that were here, I apologize. Many were sick and out on Wednesday, so there was about 15 of us in the sanctuary. So this should be new. But I just want you to absorb what this man has to say. His name is Brother Kenneth Carpenter, First Apostolic Church of Maryville, Tennessee. Go ahead. Only the church has an exit. Hell has no exit. When God prepared hell for Lucifer, he did not prepare hell for humans. He prepared hell for Lucifer. And when he prepared hell for Lucifer, He made a way that hell could see what's going on in heaven for the fact of torment. But when he made hell, he fixed it in such a way that those that are in hell can never exit and those that are in heaven can never come to where they're at and help them out. Can I tell you tonight, you ought to exit while you can. You need to exit a life of sin while you can. Exit your lifestyle while you can. If you question whether your life is pleasing to God, you listen to this preacher tonight. Exit while you can. But I've got to keep on telling you, just because your conscience has been seared does not negate the fact that Jesus is coming. Exit while you can. 
what could be worse than hell? He said, what could be better than, for, than heaven? Would be as you are walking up to the throne. As you're walking up to the throne. You made it to heaven. You made it there. And you're walking up to the throne. And all of a sudden you hear, Mama! Mama! That's Jared. Oh, that's your mama. I'm over here. Oh, cheer me. And for the entire family to come around the throne of God. I can think of nothing better. I can think of anything that would top heaven than to be around the throne of God. And to have my children around the throne of God. And we're saying it paid off, didn't it? Son-in-laws, it paid off, didn't it? It paid off, didn't it? No, no. It paid off, didn't it? I know they were making fun of us. I know we were getting ridiculed. But it paid off. Look at Jesus, Nolan. Look at the Lord, Nolan. It paid off. But I can think of nothing worse than hell. And all the eyes in hell. Flames dancing all around me. A body that won't burn because it's an eternal body and it won't burn. Gnashing of teeth. People gnashing on each other with their teeth. You're in a free fall the whole time because it's a bottomless pit. You hear the hissing of demonic spirits as they whiz around your ears. You hear all of these things are gnashing and moaning. Oh God, it's a cry of the unimaginable. You're hearing all of this. People are gnawing on you. And all of a sudden, your boy comes up beside you in hell. You hear me tonight. I'm about to preach you to this altar. You hear me tonight, Daddy. You better live such a way that in hell your children don't come up around you and say, Daddy, why didn't you lead us? Daddy, why didn't you get your feelings hurt? Mama, why were you so carnal? Mama, why weren't you in the prayer group instead of the gossip group? I've come to tell you tonight that would be worse than Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.